Welcome to ABC's Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm ABC Senior Congressional Correspondent Mary Bruce. And I'm ABC's National Political Correspondent Mary Alice Parks. Your ears do not deceive you. Rick Klein and John Carl are out whooping it up on spring break, but we are very happy to be here filling in for them. It has been another week of bizarre, puzzling headlines. But I have to say, Mary Alice, I'm struck at how restrained the president by his standards, has been this week. I mean, the the storm cloud that is the Stormy Daniels controversy continues to overshadow the White House. Now her legal team, we've learned, wants to depose the president. They seem to be doing everything they can to keep this story in the news. And yet the president, who often declares himself to be a proud counterpuncher, still has yet to say a word publicly about this. Not a single tweet. No. And also, no comments about Russia, even though his administration is talking boldly about them. We've just basically had a quieter president this last week. But, you know, the stormy storm does continue just to take the wind out of the sails there at the White House. They can't get out from underneath their own drama when they try to take a big step, like on Russia. They're bogged down in the hearings and in these and in the briefings about questions about alleged adultery. It's just one piece of salacious news after another, and that is piling up. And the big question, of course, does any of this even matter? I mean, how many times have we asked this question? I mean, do voters, do Trump supporters even care? Or or do they believe Stormy Daniels? And if they do, does it really matter? Does it affect, you know, how they're going to vote and think about this administration going forward? It's not as if um, the president's, uh, some of his previous behavior was not very well known when they headed to the polls uh, in 2018. And that's certainly what, excuse me, in 2016. And that's certainly what the White House continues to stress over and over again as well. It's hard to imagine that voters vote on this issue alone. But we know that Trump does have sort of a problem with women voters. There are a lot of female voters around the country that have been put off. They were put off in 2016, but also since then, the polling numbers, especially among women, have really slipped. You can imagine that some women especially might just be disgusted with all of this, turned off further. Uh, Again, it's hard to imagine that some voter would, would, would decide on this alone, but growing mistrust, distrust, and dislike of this White House is really possible. Seems to be another one of those issues where you're seeing, you know, it it, it makes those who criticize the president you know, double down on that point of view. Those who support the president double down on their support as well. And then, Mary Alice, you mentioned, of course, that the president internationally this week was really re-exerting himself. I mean, he successfully secured a trade deal with South Korea. He's finally taking action against Russia, kicking out 60 Russian diplomats. That's the most forceful action Trump has taken against Russia since being in office. Sweeping move from this administration. And, and yet, you know, are they getting the kind of credit and coverage for that? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they're probably frustrated that they're not because of some of these other issues that continue to dominate. And they they look like they're making progress on North Korea. Yeah. The president optimistic there and, and outspoken on Twitter on that front as well. You're exactly right. They're trying to reexert themselves clearly on the world stage. The president trying to show that he can be a global leader in a way that we really haven't seen in a while. But but I agree. I think that every time they try to take a bold stand, they seem to be bogged down by these other questions of their credibility. And all of this is happening, of course, as that meeting with North Korea looms. The president originally saying that that they were hoping that that sit down with Kim Jong-un would happen in May. And now we've learned that Kim Jong-un made a little trip. He went to China, kind of surprising a lot of people. 
I think it surprised a lot of people. You know, and it's interesting because in some ways this could be a real bipartisan issue. There are plenty of Democrats that are excited about the possibility of diplomacy. Uh, diplomacy feels a lot less scary than any alternative. Uh, so he might get real high praise on this one as well if they can actually make a meeting happen. That's a big if. Totally a huge, like, if. A big if. Um, And then back here, there's one other thing that happened this week that's raising a lot of eyebrows and a lot of concern and some legal action now. This is a move by the administration to add this question about citizenship to the census. Um, They argue it's necessary to protect voting rights. Critics say that this will lead to an undercounting uh, in the census, which could have huge uh, ramifications, not just for how states allocate resources, but also for elections going forward, because these are the numbers that are used for districting. And I was struck by the fact that the White House did nothing since making this announcement to try to allay any of those fears. They didn't, you know, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders could have stood up there in the West Wing in front of the podium and said, everyone calm down. Of course, we still want all immigrants to participate. Of course, we're going to try to count everyone, not just citizens like the Constitution essentially says they have to. She could have said, we're never going to use that census data inappropriately, so immigrant communities shouldn't be worried. But she didn't. They didn't try to calm people down. They didn't try to allay fears. Essentially, uh, she was stern about it, talked about other possible voter fraud claims being part of the reason that they want this new data on citizenship. And and that just gets to the bigger issue here, the, the sort of environment we're dealing with, where this administration and immigrant communities across this country feel totally at odds. Those immigrant communities feel vulnerable, uh, skeptical, and, and under attack. It's such a good point, because you're right. When the White House was pressed on this over and over again, instead of, of maybe making giving some assurances, as you were just mentioning, the White House said, look, that there's some, there's some pre- previous precedent for this. There have been similar questions in the past, um, citing over and over again the fact that there's, they say there's no real evidence of underreporting happening because of this, but not actually addressing any of those concerns you're seeing from immig- immigrant communities. And we're going to actually uh, talk now. I think we have him on the line, uh, Con- California Congressman Ted Lieu, who's uh, very outspoken on this. He uh, is one of many lawmakers who have said that, that they think that this would be devastating for their constituents. So, Congressman Lou, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So help us understand what's at stake here. At least 12 states are are now taking legal action to try and prevent uh, this from going forward somehow, including California. So help us understand what's the real political risk here to, to adding this citizenship question to the census? The risk is that we get inaccurate data that undercounts significant population in America, particularly in states with high numbers of immigrants. If that were to happen, then these states would not get the appropriate federal resources, and it also provides misleading data for policymakers. As a legal matter, the Constitution requires under Article One, Section 2 that the government do a count of people in our country, not citizens. So even asking this question is legally irrelevant to our constitutional mandate. But you've heard the administration's pushback. I mean, they say it's necessary to protect the Voting Rights Act, and they say that there's really no evidence to suggest that the response rate will actually decline just because of the addition of this one question. There already is significant undercounting of various populations within the United States, including minorities and populations with high numbers of immigrants. This would make it worse, because if you 
are undocumented, you're going to be afraid to turn in those papers to ask that question. And for the census, in large part, we rely on people to voluntarily turn in their information. But the underlining issue is that immigrants feel nervous, potentially feel nervous about participating in the census because they're worried the administration could use that data in some other way. Do you think that underlying concern is valid? I mean, there's laws in the books that the Census Bureau can't use the information in other ways. Is the underlying concern valid? I believe that concern is valid because of what we're seeing right now. We're seeing ICE go after people and deport them, mothers and fathers, uh, even though they're really just here without papers, not because they committed some serious major crime. And we're watching some of these raids on TV where they're trying to deport people that really have done nothing wrong uh, other than the fact that they don't have any papers. So I think that concern is valid based on what they're seeing from this current administration. So just to to be clear, you're worried that the administration, this administration, might essentially break the law or break the rules and use this census data inappropriately and target immigrants because of it? And does that mean then that you would encourage people not to participate? Uh, this administration does seem more lawless than other administrations, but the primary concern is not what I think. It's what do these immigrants think when they're given the census form and asked to answer that question. Many of them, based on the perceptions that they see on TV and media and, and radio and so on, they're not going to turn that form in. And what could this really mean going forward for California? I mean, obviously, this is used, this kind of data is used to allocate a range of services for constituents and voters, but but also in terms of districting. It could have a dramatic effect. One reason California and other states are suing is because it could mean that we would lose federal resources. A lot of formulas that get allocated are based on population. We could potentially lose congressional seats if there's a dramatic undercount of California's actual population. And federal resources are designed to help everyone. So if, for example, a business burns down, the first thing that firefighters ask when they go there is not, you know, what is the immigration status of customers and owners who are in that business? They just try to put the fire out. And if you have significant undercounts of people in different states, the resources will be allocated in a way that is mismatched. So do you think this could have a real impact on, say, midterms going forward? I mean, are you going to lose districts because of this? It could potentially have an impact after 2020 if redistricting is done based on inaccurate data. I think it's also very disappointing that the Trump administration is trying to weaponize the census. Since 1950, this question has not been asked about citizenship. The census has been bipartisan. Everyone supported it. And now the administration is trying to make it a partisan tool. And I think that's inappropriate. Do you think that they're trying to play politics here? Or, I mean, that's what you're hinting at? Or is there a real ideological difference? Is it possible the administration is saying with this that they just don't think undocumented immigrants should be counted or included in calculations for any allocations of resources? I think they're playing politics, but even if they believe what you just said, it is unconstitutional because the Constitution says you need to count people, not citizens. And if I can, while we're sort of on the topic of immigration, let's talk about the president's wall. 
Uh, Trump is clearly frustrated that the latest spending bill included just $1.6 billion for border security and fencing. He still clearly wants that $25 billion to build the big, beautiful wall that was that central promise of his campaign. And now he's suggesting the military should just pay for it. Is Congress ever going to approve that? What do you make of it? Not at all. Uh, I think there will be bipartisan opposition to having the military pay for the wall. Uh, We should be making sure that our military personnel are paid adequately and that they have the best equipment when they go into combat. I also believe that the president could get a deal for his wall if he simply would let the DREAM Act pass or other legal protections for DACA recipients. So far, he's been unwilling to simply have a simple deal of protection for DACA recipients and his wall. Wait a You guys have been trying for months to strike this deal. You think there's still a chance at this stage that a, that a DACA for border wall deal is possible? I do, partly because he keeps tweeting about it, right? He keeps talking about <laughs> it. You, the, the tweets are giving you hope? <laughs> it, yes, because it's clearly on his mind. It's something he appears to want to solve, and Democrats want to solve this issue as well as Republicans. I think we can have this deal. And there was a deal last year when Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump had dinner together, and they walked out with the contours of the deal. Unfortunately, his staff walked them back, and the White House started adding all sorts of provisions to the deal that made it very difficult to pass Congress. One of them was, for example, chain migration, which is a derogatory term for family-based immigration. What the administration proposed was really quite extreme. Uh, their view of family uh, excluded mothers, fathers, siblings, and even children, they basically were saying, we're going to ban immigration for parents, siblings, and even adult children. And Republicans weren't even going to go for that. So if the administration keeps harping on that issue, I don't think a deal will be done. But lately, they've gone silent, and they haven't brought up chain migration anymore. But Democratic leadership, by and large, felt good about that big, omnibus, large spending deal. Uh, You know, it kept money for the EPA and medical research at the National Institutes of Health. But you voted against it. Were you disappointed that more of your colleagues didn't follow suit or or take a tougher stance, use bargaining chips sort of with their votes that way? I I think colleagues, whether they voted for or against the bill, had their own good reasons. The reason I didn't vote for the bill is because I thought the process was totally messed up. Uh, The Republican-controlled Leadership dropped a bill of over 2,200 pages with over $1.3 trillion in spending and gave us 17 hours uh, notice before we were voting on it. And I simply thought that's a stupid way to run government. I'm not going to vote for this massive piece of legislation, knowing that neither I nor most members of Congress read it. So more of a process issue, it sounds like. You're also a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. So before you go, I also want to get your take on the president's renewed, very clear optimism that he will, in fact, be able to cut a deal with North Korea. What do you make of that? I support diplomacy with North Korea. I support the president meeting with the North Korean dictator. I am concerned, however, that as of today, Donald Trump still has not nominated the U.S. ambassador to South Korea, who would be an important part of those talks. We don't have a secretary of state. And in addition, the Trump administration's North Korean expert resigned last month. So he's going to go into this meeting missing half his team. And uh, that does trouble me.
realistically, what do you think? Well, what do, what are you putting your over under on the fact that this this meeting could actually happen in May, which is you know just a couple of weeks away? I think the president really wants that to happen, and then you see again his staff trying to walk him back. I don't think that timing matters as much as just having the meeting happen at some point. I do think we need our president to be fully prepared before he walks into that meeting. And right now, we don't have a very good team uh, that is helping him. I'm also deeply concerned about the appointment of John Bolton as National Security Advisor. Uh, He has argued for a first strike on North Korea. I think it's very telling that Kim Jong-un went to China. And I think that was a signal that if the U.S. were to strike North Korea first, China would do what they did in the first Korean War and side with North Korea. And at that point, uh, we don't win that war. Were you surprised that Kim Jong-un went to visit China? A little bit, although it makes sense because, again, I think if they're looking at John Bolton being appointed and he's arguing for a military invasion of North Korea, then I could see North Korea trying to go to China and say, Hey, remember what happened in the first Korean War? If that were to happen, we'd like your help again. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Democratic Congressman Ted Liu of California. Just reminding us of all the things we have to keep a close eye on over these next coming weeks. It's chilling to think about. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much. Thank you. And Mary Alice, you heard the congressman there say what is really a fear that you're hearing from so many Democrats is how will Bolton's appointment impact these discussions if, in fact, they do happen? If the president does sit down with Kim Jong-un, what does it mean to have Bolton now, someone who's so hawkish on this issue, to have him in his ear? Right, because essentially, Lou wanted to applaud the president for continuing the prospects of diplomacy, for working on a possible sit-down. But Democrats don't feel like they can support this administration, even with things they agree with, because the president keeps bringing in these outside people who they just don't agree with and, and who, frankly, sort of scare them with all their their hawkish tendencies. Yeah, it certainly makes the Democrats have to walk a little bit of a fine line and many Republicans, too. But the president was adamant, at least on Twitter this morning, he is looking forward to that meeting. They are planning full steam ahead. But of course, as the congressman points out, who's helping him to plan that meeting is such a big concern. And I was also struck by the fact that back on that census question, Congressman Liu said that he was worried that the administration might misuse the census data. That would really put Democrats in a tricky spot, because if they know they need immigrants to fill out the census forms and need them to be counted to have an accurate count of their states and their communities, but they are really worried that the administration might misuse that data, what are they going to do? Are they? I mean, if you follow that logic, are they going to encourage people to fill out the form or not? Yeah. How do you encourage people to to answer the door and fill out that questionnaire if you think that there are legitimate fears that that data might be misused? I don't know. It's a big question going forward. Another one to add to our list. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of Powerhouse Politics. Please take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes. And you can find us on Twitter at Mary Kay Bruce and at Mary Alice Parks. And don't forget, you can find other ABC News podcasts by going to abcnewspodcast.com. Today's show is produced by Angie Yak, Trevor Hastings, and Avery Miller. John and Rick on the beach, but we hear they will be back next week. Until then, I'm Mary Bruce. Mary Alice, we like the women's episode anyway. Yeah, we kind of like this. We should keep this going. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.